0: I uh, have come to the conclusion that pain that we're experiencing, and some of you I know experience more pain than others physically, is a grace of God that, uh, that draws our heart and our minds to the resurrected bodies that will come one day, right? we Will be delivered from that. Um, and I am looking forward to that very much personally. J- Jason introduced me a little bit up there, um, and so after all of that, I, I'm gonna have to change my whole message because he took everything from where I was going uh, but really, though, I am the I'm the food service manager here. That means I oversee all things food service. A couple of the most awesome food service people in the world are in the back back there. Um, I have been here for just over seven no just under seven years with my family, uh, my wife, and I've been married for almost 22 years. See, I've got overs and unders, and it's hard to keep track of where they're all at. Uh, but just uh, just under 22 years in June will be our 22nd anniversary. Uh, we have five kids. See if I can get all their ages and their names right. Um, Richie is our oldest. He's 19. He's actually right back there. He's the handsome one sitting right there. In the back. Um, He uh, wouldn't have come tonight if I had told him I was going to introduce him. He just finished his first year at Westmont, which is awesome. Super proud of him. Uh, doing a great job. Um, then we have our daughter, Adriana, who's next to him right there, who will not speak to me for the next couple days now because of this. She's 17 years old. Um, She is gonna graduate at the end of next year, which is crazy. She is our only daughter of five kids. Um, even previously when we had pets, our animals were also boys. Um, so she's been the only one that my wife has had to cling to for the last number of years. Uh, then we have uh, another son, his name is Zechariah. Uh, Zech is 14 years old, um, and he is, uh, he's a pretty, pretty incredible athlete, which is kind of fun to watch. Um, Leslie is our son, uh, it was my great grandfather's name. We made it so that he would have to be tough enough to defend himself for the rest of his life by giving him the name of Leslie. Uh, but he is 11 years old, uh, it is very like heady, loves to build things and to create games and imagine things. Uh, and then our youngest is six years old, and his name is Elijah John, and uh, he is an incredible handful and a blessing from the Lord, to be sure. Um, Jason and, and uh, I definitely share a wall between us, so we're in the townhouses and we have a wall, which is actually relatively well soundproofed, which is good, um, because we make a good deal of noise on our side of the house uh, as the circus rolls into town. Uh, and even Eli shares a wall right there next to um, some of the kids in the King's house, and. They know when he's doing well and when he's, when he's not. So we were here for like seven years. I've been asked like, ah, oh, food service at Hume, what was your training for that? To which I have to chuckle um, because prior to coming here, we were in Kansas uh, for seven years. I was a youth and family pastor at a church there, uh, and, and it was an amazing time. For the seven years prior to that, was at a camp in Northern California. Half that time was the food service director and half that time was the program director. So I've gotten the opportunity to see camp from a lot of different angles and just love, love camping. And I was like, what, what is it to share about? So Jeremiah's um, guidelines for me were this. He said, all right, you can talk about whatever you want, and it could be as short as you want or as long as you want. And I was like, that kind of opens up a lot of possibilities, doesn't it, right there? So this is, as I was thinking about it, I'm like what, what, would be, um, what would be maybe helpful for me or important for me if I was sitting in there and someone who maybe you've never seen before came up to the front? And so what I wanna do is to just share some of my story and some of the things that God has brought me through um, to maybe prepare my heart for, for where I'm at now and, and in that process as you've experienced too. I'm sure the things that you're going through now are preparing you for what the Lord has for you next. But um, I grew up in Southern California, Escondido area. Uh, my, my, my mom was a school teacher. My dad was an air traffic controller for 31 years. I um, was not raised in a Christian home. My mom was a, was a pretty devout Catholic. Um, my father didn't go to church really at all, and I didn't really hear much about Jesus growing up uh, until I was in eighth grade. My sister, who is three years older than I am but four years further ahead in school, I was held back in kindergarten. I was very Difficult, but it actually was a really good thing that I was. Um, but when I was in eighth grade, she was a senior. She was a part of a group called uh, Student Venture when she was in high school, which is a high school ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. And and there at Student Venture, they taught people uh, how to use the Four Spiritual Laws booklet, which is a gospel tract. And so she came home from one of her meetings uh, on a Monday night, and she brought this gospel tract home with her. And she sat me down at the kitchen table at my parents' house, and she opened it up, and she was like, "All right." I want to tell you about this. And I'm like, okay, tell me about it. And so it was like law one, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Kind of walk through like sin, how it separates us from God and how God sent Jesus to come and to reconcile us to himself. And at the end of that, it asks you if you want to pray to receive Jesus into your heart. As an eighth grader there in my parents' house, hearing about Jesus, not for the first time of hearing the name, but hearing of the salvation that's offered through Christ for the first time. Um, I said, yeah, I do. I definitely do. So I prayed with her right there in my parents' kitchen with, like, the weird flower wallpaper and the old linoleum and the avocado green refrigerator. Um, I remember it very clearly. Um, And so coming out of that, I I honestly, though, didn't really know then what does it mean to follow Jesus. And I went to high school, and a lot of the friends I had grown up with uh, as I went into high school decided... Um, that it, it wasn't cool to hang out with me anymore. And as a high school student, it's pretty devastating because friendships mean a lot. So then I was alone in high school trying to figure out what does it mean to fit in? How do I fit in? Who do I fit in with? So I'd go to my Wednesday night student venture meeting that my sister had gone to, so I was going to that. And then I found a group of people that I could fit in with uh, in theater. And so these were theater individuals at a non Christian school, so not a good environment at all. And I found myself for most of my four years of high school uh, acting one way with one particular group and then another way with another group. And I know I'm not alone in having gone through periods of time like this in our lives. Maybe those groups are family or friends or job or whatever it might be. This was just my rhythm in high school. I would go to my youth group, my student venture meetings, and I'd put on one mask there and act a certain way like the Christian was supposed to act, and I guess maybe I didn't really know that that was really supposed to permeate all of my life, and so I would go then back to school and I would just act the way the rest of my friends did uh, when I was in, in that group. My student venture put on two camps a year. One was the summer camp, it was called the Getaway, and then the winter camp, which was called Fast Break, and I'd go to those each year as they happened, and, as camp can be, get real excited about Jesus and come back and kind of come crashing back down to my reality, whether that was in my home with my family or with the friend group that I was running with. And so I kind of had this relationship with Jesus that looked like a sine curve. It was just this up and down thing. And, and I I'd, I'd do this back and forth for several years. And then at the end of my junior year, um, I went to the getaway again, because that's what I would do. And I remember at the getaway being confronted with Jesus in a way I hadn't really been before and felt like I had to make some, some changes. And so I got back from that retreat and I, I went to this 4th of July party with my theater friends. And this is, this is a long time ago. It was like 28 years ago. And I still remember it, calling them all together into this one room and standing on the back of this couch and basically laying out for them like, this is what I believe. And they, they looked at me and they said, well, it's good for you to believe that. We don't, uh, but you can still hang out with us if you want to. And I said, I just can't. And I got up and I left. And I, I left there and I was super excited about making the stand for Jesus. And two weeks later, um, went to UC San Diego as a junior in high school to study marine biology for a month, because uh, that's what I wanna do with my life. I wanted to be a marine biologist until I find out it's really hard. There's a lot of studying you have to do to be a marine biologist. Um, but I ended up at this uh, living on campus for a month with 70 other people from across the United States that I'd never met before. And on that first day, as I was given the opportunity to decide to continue on in this commitment to Jesus, I, I decided that it was more important to me to make a reputation for myself that fit in with these people because they had no idea who I was and I could be the cool person and I could set this background for myself. I don't know if you've ever experienced things like that where you feel like you make a stand and then, and then you fall under that. It, it, was, uh, it was pretty hard. And I came back from that and started my senior year in high school and couldn't figure out like what to do. Felt very like lost in that. Uh, and so I went back to my, my theater friends and started hanging out with them again because I didn't know what else to do and just got right back to my old rhythms of going to youth group and then hanging out with the people at school and going to youth group. I was kind of stumbling through this first semester of my senior year, and then I went to the fast break again, camp, because camp is awesome, it just is. Even people who are straying and wandering and struggling love, love camp. So I went to this camp again, and this guy by the name of Greg Speck was speaking there. I don't know if you've heard of Greg Speck before. He's coming for family camp this next December to speak here at Hume, so I'm super excited. Greg Speck was there, and he spoke on something that I couldn't even tell you what it was. But I remember that uh, there was a word on that side, and there was a word over here. Don't remember what they were either. And then there was an overhead projector in the middle, which is how we did words back then, and a screen in the back. And on the last night, the screen went up, and there was the word go. And he gave this message that was powerful. That's all I could tell you about it is that it was powerful, but calling us to follow Jesus in a real way. And when he was done, it was about 200 high school students that were there. Uh, most of them were in tears. I got up and I walked out the back of this building and I walked out into the snow about 100 feet uh, and just began to pray. Uh, after a few minutes, I felt like I needed to sit down in the snow. And I can't explain to you like how I felt this way, but I felt like I had to sit down in the snow. And so I sat down and just continued to to pray. And after a few minutes, it didn't matter because I couldn't feel my butt anymore. So it was like just me, just the like beginning to just like confess these things that I've been walking in and doing for so many years. Um, the only way I really know how to describe what was happening in my heart uh, at that moment was that it was like the first time that I felt like I saw my, my sin before a holy God, uh, and, it, and it, it broke me. Uh, I was just crying and, and praying, and it was about 45 minutes or so that I was, I was sitting there and after, after a bunch of time had passed, I, I felt like I knew what I needed to do, and quite honestly, was terrified of it. Uh, and so I was, I was, I was sitting in the snow. And I will preface this with saying, like, I am, just personally, from my background, my upbringing, um, I just, I'm not a big signs and wonders person. But as I'm praying there in the night, I'm like, Lord, I. I I feel like I need some kind of sign that this is from you. it was a still night. It was crystal clear. And I was like, Lord, I feel like uh, if you could send a wind through these trees, that would be awesome. And so just continued to pray. And after a few minutes, this gentle breeze came through the trees. And in my youthful obstinance, I was like, that's not good enough. This is my life we're talking about here. And, 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 and God, in his graciousness, did not say, well, you had your shot, and just, and that's the end of it. Um, <laughs> after praying for a few more minutes, this wind came through the trees and began to sway from side to side, and I got up, and I was like, that's good enough for me, and I went inside, and I found Greg, and I was just a mess, like, I'd just been crying for, like, 40 minutes, uh, and I go, and I find him, and there's other people that are kind of wandering around, and I go up to him, and I'm like, I, I just gave my life to God, and I am scared. Like, I'm just, I'm scared. And he pulled this, uh, this quarter out and he said, okay, this quarter is you. And I'm like, okay. And he said, stick out your hand. So I stuck my hand out. And I said, your hand is Jesus. And he put the quarter in my hand and he said, close your hand. So I closed it. And then he took both of his hands and he said, my, my hands, my hands are God. And put his hands over my hand. And he said, what can touch you? I said, nothing. I said, what can hurt you? Nothing. And he looked at me and he said, do you have nothing to be afraid of? And I, I knew he didn't mean like it's gonna be easy and nothing bad is gonna happen or anything like that, but compared to knowing Jesus, like it would be worth it. So I went back home, all super excited. My sister was home from UC Santa Barbara and I'm telling her all about camp and what had happened. And, and, uh, and I'm like, man, I got all these CDs of these non-Christian music that I've got. I just need to get rid of them. So we stayed up till midnight, just snapping these CDs in half and filling trash bags with these CDs. My sister was all inspired, she went up to her room, she got her, her picture of Tom Cruise from Top Gun and ripped it off the wall and she shoved it in there too. And we went down to the park at midnight and threw these things away. And we just prayed together. She pulled out Philippians uh, and she turned to Philippians chapter three and she was like, uh, I have this passage I wanna share with you. And I'm like, sweet. And so she reads from it and she goes, okay. Says not all. It's Philippians three to verse twelve. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made it His own. Brothers, I do not consider to have made it my own, but one thing I do: forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you, only let us hold true to what we have attained." And So it was this incredible experience in my life that obviously I still look back on very highly and as I still had a few more days until school started back up, I began to feel like I need to get my friends like together. When we get back, I don't really know why, so I started calling them up, hey, we need to meet between the 300 and 400 building at lunch on Tuesday, and they're like, why? I'm like, I don't know. I call the next person, hey, we need to meet between the 300 and 400 building at lunch on Tuesday. They're like, why? I'm like, I don't know. And I called like four or five friends. We all got together on Tuesday at lunch, and we're standing there like, okay, why are we here? I'm like, well, my sister gave me this. <laughs> like, read the passage from Philippians, and they're like, wow. I'm like, we should pray. I'm <laughs> like, yeah. And so we prayed together. And it was like, man, this is cool. We should do this more often. So we started doing it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so we're doing this every uh, week for a couple of weeks. And I'm at a student venture meeting, and I'm talking to a couple of my friends from two other high schools in town. I'm like, man, it has been awesome since we got back. God has been doing this incredible thing. We're meeting on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at lunch, and we're reading the Bible together, and we're praying together, and it's so cool. And they're like, No way, we've been doing that at our school too. We felt like God wanted us to start that up at our school. We're like, no way, that's incredible. We should do that together. And so then we all got together on a Friday night at the park at nine o'clock at night because that's a good idea. Um, And so there's like 10 or 12 of us there and we've got a boom box with the cassette that probably had Michael W. Smith's music on it and we played it and we sang songs together and we read the Bible together and we prayed. Just couple, bunch of high school students wanting to know Jesus and follow him and figuring out what it looks like. And one of the girl's moms didn't like that we were meeting at the park at nine o'clock at night. She wasn't the mom that was like, hey, you can't go because I don't want you there. They said, hey, we don't think that's safe. Why don't you come do it at our house? We'll make you guys food. You can use our living room. You can invite people to come. So we started meeting there on Friday nights, and they made us twice-picked potatoes and mandarin salad, and it was so good. And so we started inviting our friends there, and after about a month, we had 25 students that were there. And by the end of the semester, we had 75 like, high school students from different campuses converging on this house. No, no youth leaders, just students, trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, coming together, inviting other friends to come and be a part of it. Not because anybody was like, hey, you guys should do this, but just feeling like like we need to do something, right? And it was an incredible, incredible time. Um, Ended up going to Biola University. Uh, I was a Christian education major, studying how to be a youth pastor. I'm like, that would be amazing to tell people about Jesus, like for a job. I remember walking to chapel on uh, one particular day in the spring, and there were four displays from four different summer camps, recruiting people to come work at camp. And I was like, you can work at camp? Like for a job? Like that is the coolest thing in the world. So I went and I saw Hume Lake, and I was like, oh, Hume, that sounds cool. I've heard of that, I'd never been before. I applied there and went to this other one called Wolf Mountain, just because it had a neat looking display. That'd be funny, I wish I could see it now, because I'm like, oh, it was a cool display. Now I'd be like, oh, man. Um, but. It was, so I, I, I went there. I applied there. I set up two different interviews for the next day. Came to Hume's, and in the Hume interview was, "What's your name? What's your major? Thank you very much." Really was about five minutes long. Uh, and then the one at, uh, at Wolf Mountain was um, about a half hour long interview, and then we talked for like an hour and a half afterwards. And I was like, "Man, this is this is pretty cool." And within a couple of weeks, got a letter from Hume said, "Thanks for applying, but..." A couple weeks after that, got one from Wolf Mountain that said, we'd love to have you come up and be on our high adventure staff. And I was like, sweet, that's what it is. I'm gonna go do that. So went and served up there on high adventure staff for the summer. It was just neat time for sure, being able to with kids and cabins and go in the mountains and canoe and rock climb and all that stuff. I I met someone at camp that was pretty cool also. She's sitting in the back right there next to Audrey. Her name was Brenda. At the end of that year, we ended up, uh, started dating and then got engaged the next summer and got married in June of 2000, which if you're going to get married, get married on a millennia or like a century mark, you know, where it's like, it's 2000. Um, Only for six months in there are you a little bit confused. You're like, it's it's 2022. We've been married for almost 22 years. It's almost 22 years. so then after we had, we had uh, we first started getting together, I, I began to realize there were some of these different experiences that Brenda hadn't had, things that were quite important to me. Um, one of them was that she'd never been to a professional baseball game before. It was very important to me that we changed that into uh, her saying, I've been to a professional baseball game before, and so we, uh, she went to school down at Point Loma, I was at Biola, I like to joke that she went to Point Loma, I went to a Christian school. Um, <laughs> And so, we are going to a San Diego Padres game, and I'm like, we're gonna do the whole experience. We're gonna get there like three hours before the game starts. We're gonna watch batting practice, we're gonna tailgate. It's gonna be great, it'll be the best thing. So we go, and it's, uh, we're barbecuing burgers. We go inside, it's clock night, which is a weird night to have, but you know, whatever, the clock night. I still have the clock in my office. Um, clock night, and then we're going and we're watching batting practice. And as we're sitting there, and we're up like maybe 16 rows and foul, maybe five or six seats, just sitting there talking. And it's the kind of talking like the get to know you stuff, you know, like, what's your name? what's your favorite? Well, I guess I knew that. What's your favorite color? What do you like to eat? Those kinds of things. Just, just trying to get to know each other. And as we're sitting there, I'm, I'm watching batting practice the whole time. And this guy gets up there and he just cracks the ball. And I played a lot of outfield when I was playing baseball growing up, and I could tell when the ball was hit where it was going to land. And I stood up, and I'm like, that's us. And so she looked up and me like, what do you mean that's, that's us? And so I'm sliding over in the seats because it's going to land in our row, and I just can't believe it. I'd never caught a ball at a professional baseball game before, and I'm sliding over. The ball's flying through the air like 380 feet to where we are at. I play a lot of baseball. I didn't have a glove. It's going to be okay. I got my hands, right? <laughs> Like a glove is just the extension of your hand, and so the hands do the same kind of thing. And so the ball is coming in closer and closer, and I'm putting my hands up like this, in this diamond shape, right here, so I'm gonna catch the ball right in there, just right in there. It's gonna be perfect, I know what you're thinking, it didn't hit me in the face, thankfully, but it's coming in closer and closer and closer, and these things are like, walk, run through my mind, like I'm just envisioning these different things, right? So like, as it's getting closer and closer, I picture myself with my arm around Brenda and the ball in the hand, like walking through the stadium, like. <laughs> That's right, I did this, and it's getting closer and closer, and my mind flashes forward to like the future, and I've gotten this ball, and my son's there, and I'm like, I caught this ball <laughs> at this baseball game your mother and I were at, and it's coming clo- closer and closer, and normally I wear glasses um, to see, not just a fashion statement, um, but to actually be able to see things that are coming at me, and as this ball comes closer and closer, it. I feel this pain in these two fingers right here as the ball hits right there, bends them back, bounces into the row behind me. This guy walks over, picks it up, and walks away with the ball. And was like, oh, that's okay. I'm like, it's not okay. It's not. it's not. And for the whole rest of the game, I had this searing reminder of my failure as a man. It was like, it was like my hunter-gatherer instinct was severed in that moment right there. Now clearly I was lacking the tools that I needed to be able to do what I had to do in that moment. Had I had a glove, that would have been good. The glasses (laughs) would have been probably better uh, than that, but I was on a date, right? So no glasses on that. That would have helped though. Had I had the glasses or the glove, it would have been good. It would have been really good, Um, but, but I didn't have the things I needed to be able to accomplish what I wanted to do in that moment. And so actually after we had gotten married, which was in June of 2000, uh, a year later we joined staff at Wolf Mountain, uh, full-time staff. And so I, I was substitute teaching, Brenda was the children's director at a church, just praying about our future and feeling like God was calling us to Wolf Mountain full-time. Didn't know what the role was, didn't know when. Called and let him know, hey, we feel like God is calling us to Wolf Mountain in full-time ministry. We don't know what job or even when. We'll just consider the time between now and then as God's preparation on our lives. And so a couple weeks later, Brenda's at the church. She's like, hey, I'm gonna be late. Can you cook dinner? I'm like, sure, what do you want me to barbecue? Because that's what I do, a barbecue. And she's like, no, I've got this recipe for you to follow. And I was like, recipe? I don't follow recipes. And it became this like ridiculous fight that only couples that are married for a year can experience. No, it's actually not true, unfortunately, like, it happens. Uh, but it was like this total funny fight. But, and that night, I get a phone call from Wolf Mountain, and they're like, hey, we've got this full-time job of food service director available. <laughs> we think you might be a good fit. I'm like, oh, if you only knew what happened this <laughs> night. And so I was like, all right, that's, that's got to be it. So, so I, for whatever reason, God saw fit to bring me to this point in my life was ready to follow him regardless of what that meant or what role, and that was into food service, which I don't know if you know this or not, but I'll let you know that food service and youth pasture are very different things, very different things. But God had so prepared my heart that when it was like, this is the opportunity I have for you, it was like, yes, yeah, that's it. And they said, you know, we know you don't have a lot of food service experience, but we feel like we know your heart, and we want to teach you the things you need to know. So we'd like for you to come join the team. So we went. And I will tell you that that first year, uh, Wolf Mountain was, was awful. Uh, it was just hard. I mean, I didn't know how to cook, so there's that, right? Um, so I didn't know how to cook. I'd never scheduled staff before. I'd never ordered through a food distributor before or managed a budget, and kept a kitchen clean. Like those are kind of, kind of important pieces typically that you'd look for when you're hiring someone for that role as someone who's done those things before. And I didn't have those and so I was picking up on them but my first year was all about that. Just figuring it out. How does it work? There were some people that were working there from before. they were hard to work with. I don't know if you've ever worked with people that are hard to work with before, but there were some hard people that were working in the kitchen. And after a year, I just felt burned out. Because in my, in my mind, ministry was what took place uh, over there in the cabin, um, from the stage, the people that were leading worship. It wasn't what I was doing in the kitchen. And um, what I was doing in the kitchen was so that that could happen. But this wasn't, wasn't ministry. I just, I lack those tools, those things that I needed to know. And what I didn't realize is that God was bringing me through this experience to reveal those things to me. There's some other things I didn't realize I had. Um, one was a lot of pride. Um, there's times where I was down scrubbing the floors to clean them and like crying out to God, like, I have a college degree. Like, why am I scrubbing the floors? And it was like, it was like an onion. Onion has, Parfait has layers. Um, but like, it was like these layers were getting like peeled off of me of this pride that was being exposed that had I not been in this difficult situation that I would never have put myself or maybe seen those things that were going on within myself and, and dealt with them, but God chose to walk me through this, this process. And, and that leads us to Colossians. So all of that was just my intro. That the intro is just, uh, it's just a quarter of the message, so if you could turn to Colossians. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't worry. Colossians. Um, Colossians is a great book. Mm. Uh, one, one commentator titled his commentary on the book of Colossians uh, as Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I think we kind of get caught up in... Like, what, what do I do, or like, how do I exist in this relationship? What's the next step for me? What is God's will for my life? Where is it, Lord, I'll go? It's interesting is that you see examples in Scripture of like Paul, Paul on his missionary journey as he's seeking what the Lord has for him or where to go, he's not sitting in Antioch going, okay, Lord, show us where to go. He just went and prayed that God would guide him in that set his heart his hope upon Jesus and trusted that God would work out those details. We see passages like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith and it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. And then there's the other side to that in verse 10, right? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he created in advance for us to walk in. So there's this interesting tension in our faith where there certainly ought to be this demonstration of it, but it's because our hope and our affections and our heart is set upon Christ and what he's done upon the cross for us to bring us into reconciliation with himself. And as a result of that, because of what he's done, then I walk faithfully in what he's calling me to do. Isn't that cool that we can do something like rake today or do laundry or fix a railing that's a little bit sketchy out here, or or clean some things up, and know that those good works that you did today were something that God created in advance for you to walk in? That's awesome. We praise him for that, right? So in Colossians chapter 3, Paul has spent the first couple chapters building up to this point. He's kind of set this... this, uh, this case for setting your hearts and your minds upon upon Jesus. He's just ended in chapter two um, describing some of the, the things, which a lot of it was religiosity that the people in Colossae were walking in, uh, that they were looking to do in order to kind of meet Jesus part way. This is part of the expectation. This is part of what makes me right with God, is by doing these, these things. And he ends in chapter two. Uh, by saying that, uh, that these things, they have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The appearance of wisdom, but really they don't help with these things. I told our students a lot in Kansas, uh, what are you struggling with? Do you, do you know your primary, like? offense against that is to know Jesus more. Just seek to know Jesus more. Paul transitions into chapter 3 then, verse 1. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, which the if then is like since, since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Right? End of chapter 2. These things have the appearance of wisdom, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of, fl- of the flesh. And so since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory now, it's a it's a pretty esoteric statement it's pretty philosophical like set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God not on the things that are on the earth but what I love about Paul is that he takes these ideas and then he fleshes them out I had a guy who was on our youth staff in Kansas his name was Nathaniel very like intellectual and like heady and always saw things differently than me and yet would would discuss them in this kind of way. And I'm like, the, tell me what to do. Like, I want to know what to do. And so we balance each other out really well, although he made me really frustrated a lot of the times. Paul goes in and he gives us a, like, the to do, right? So, like, here's the philosophical. Now, here's the to do in verse five. So, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And in these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, Free, but Christ is all and in all. I love it. There's just not good people and bad people. There's bad people in Jesus. Verse 12: Put on then, just like the imagery of clothing, right? Like put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Oh, that one's a hard one. Because what did I do to earn Jesus's forgiveness? Nothing. But Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here I am in this kitchen at Wolf Mountain, (laughs) there you guys are, and I'm, I'm struggling I'm just trying to do the job, I'm trying to do it well. I want to do it well. I want the camp to be able to thrive and do well. I'm just doing the job. And one of my staff members' moms, God prompted in her heart to put this banner together, like at churches. You know, I don't know if your churches still have banners on them, in them, but a lot of churches used to have banners. You'd iron on different letters and things and images. And she made this banner. They had this little chef guy. I think he had a knife in his hand, that it was like karate. it was a chef. it was a knife. So he had this little, this little knife, and then it had Colossians 3:17, and Colossians 323 on the bottom. And I would sit there and I would just slice meat for what felt like hours, looking up at this thing where I hung it. It's gone, "What does this even mean? Like, do everything? For the glory of the Lord, do everything as though you're serving the Lord and not men? Like, what does that even mean? So I was like, I, I, need to, I need to figure something out here. So I'd taken this class at Biola called Philosophy of Ministry. And in this class, you would spend the entire semester writing a 30-page document of what your philosophy of ministry was where you're going to minister, what curriculum you're going to use, who you're going to minister to, and every church that you apply to is going to ask for this document. No church I ever applied to ever asked for this document at all. And so I was like, I need to do something like this, but for food service. So I called up the professor, director of the Christian Ed Department. And I was like, Dr. Leida, I'm like, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm going, what I'm going through. I feel like I need to build a philosophy of ministry for food service. I I didn't pay attention the first time in your class, and I'm wondering if you could send me some photocopies of books, maybe some curriculum, something I could read through, and he sent me, he sent me chapters from books that he photocopied, he sent me pages of curriculum that he had put together for his class, and he just began to like chip away at it. What, what does this look like? What's the philosophy of ministry of food service? Who do we interact with? Who are we ministering to? I've got my staff that are there that I see all the time. We've got campers that are coming, Some I see, some I don't see. All of them I have some kind of touch point on in one way or another. What's my mode of ministry? What am I working on if if I'm to do everything as though I'm serving the Lord and not men? What does that mean for scrubbing the floor or taking out the trash? These are all opportunities for worship and for ministry, and God began to transform my perspective of what ministry was in a way that I had, I had not anticipated. It was like he was putting together this like tapestry in front of me that just kept getting bigger and bigger. And, and in the three and a half years I was doing food service at Wolf Mountain, I feel like I learned more about what ministry actually is than the three and a half years I spent at Biola studying it. This was so much different than what I had anticipated. I had the opportunity then to be the program director and to lead the summer staff and to put on those programs and the weekend events and things. My time at Wolf Mountain ended, my wife and I prayed and we said, "We feel like God's calling us into church ministry. We said, Lord, we don't want to limit you. Wherever you want to call us, it's where we want to go. And so we began kind of floating it out there. I had started seminary already at Liberty, which is a Baptist seminary. I was going to a Baptist church. I feel like we should probably apply to a Baptist church then if we're looking at different churches. Got serious with three. One was in the state of Washington, one was in the Bay Area, and one was in Kansas. Kansas was not on my bucket list of places to live one day by any stretch of the imagination. It was in Independence, which is Southeast. I Googled it, you know, and there was like two videos. One was Ghosts of Southeast Kansas. And then the other one was uh, the the 2014, no, 2007 floods in Kansas. So Independence, the whole thing was covered in water. I was like, well, that's the place. That's where we got to go. And God made it clear that that was the next step for us. And so we moved to Kansas, was in youth ministry out there for seven years. And we were going through the fall of our seventh year and got a phone call from an individual who works here at at Hume, uh, who happened to be the individual who moved me from food service to program at Wolf Mountain and happened to bring me on as food service director at Wolf Mountain and actually happened to interview me as a freshman at Biola to come work up here for the summer. Um, Stanton Whitling, who many of you know. And he said, hey, I want you to prayerfully consider coming out here and serving at Hume and being our food service manager. And I was like, "Nah, that's okay, that's right. Uh, I feel like God showed me what he wanted to show me in food service when I was at Wolf Mountain. And he's like, well, why don't you pray about it? I was like, fine, we'll pray about it. Uh, And my wife and I started praying, seeking the wisdom of other people. And God began to soften my heart to it and then move that softening to a desire to confirming that this was the next step for us. So I, I hear... Jason shared things like he did um, earlier, and it's humbling to hear that for sure. Um, But all these different steps that God had brought me through led us to the point of coming here and for what the next step of food service at Hume was gonna look like. God had given me the opportunity to see food service as a summer staffer and a food service director and a program director and as a youth pastor taking kids to camp. and one of the things that drew my heart here more than anything else um, is that my experience is not unique. Uh, that a lot of the times as we like survey the jobs or opportunities at camp, food service tends to not rise to the top. For some people it does, but not for a lot. But yet I know what God can do in the humility that comes through serving others um, and a breaking down of boundaries and walls and being able to be a part of that reshaping and restructuring and pointing people towards Christ and a greater understanding of of ministry is what drives me and gets me excited. Um, A a couple years back, my wife and I were hiking towards uh, Tokopa Falls over on the other end of the park. And as we were hiking, we got to the uh, falls at the end, we were taking pictures and the ground began to shake. And I was like, I think that's an earthquake. And she said, That's you. And I was like, I can't, I can't make the ground shake. <laughs> and it was the same day as the Ridgecrest earthquake. And so we felt it over there at Tokopo Falls. And we turned around and started to come back and it began to get dark. And I was not well prepared and I did not have a flashlight, I had my cell phone which kind of has a flashlight on it, a little. and So we were walking back on this path with our lights right here. And if you've ever used a cell phone as a flashlight, it illuminates relatively well right here, but not so much down there. And so you, it's important, you need to know, like where are the rocks, where are the roots, how do I not trip or fall down or go over a cliff, which would be a problem. So you also need to know where you're going, right? Now, fortunately, the trail is pretty well marked, and we were able to keep an eye on where we were headed, but it occurred to me that that's a lot of like my own journey, and what I've found that people find themselves into is that we get caught up a bit here, right? Whether it's school or job or whatever the thing may be for you, it's the here, and we get stuck in that, and when someone nudges that or hits that in a way that's frustrating. I just get frustrated, and it's just like, wow, this is just my little box that I'm trying to manage things, and I just start feeling burned out. But it's so important that we keep an eye on down there, right, as Paul said in Philippians 3, to set your focus upon the upward call of Christ Jesus. So, So we know where we're going We need to keep that in mind. We need to be aware of what's right around here. So it's not an either-or, it's kind of a both-and. And And so we spend a lot of time in the summer reminding each other of that both-and. Because feeding a 1,000 people at Ponderosa is a lot of people to feed. It's a lot of french fries to fry. Um, It's a lot of cookies to scoop and to bake, or uh, tables to wipe down, meat to cut. It's just a lot, it is a lot. And if this is your reality, you're a lot, it doesn't matter how much money you're getting paid for that. And we pay a lot. (laughs) We don't don't pay very much at all. Um, But if, if it's all about what you're gonna get from that on the monetary side, I could pay you $15 an hour, I could pay you $50 an hour. If it's just about what you're getting and you're stuck in this, you're gonna hate your job, you're gonna be frustrated with what you're doing, you're gonna have no concept of the greater things that God is accomplishing. But if our hearts and our minds are focused on these things, recognizing what Jesus is calling us to, seeing what's happening around us, understanding the way that Paul describes the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter, whoa, chapter 12, that every member matters, every part of the body is critical for the body to be able to function. Bearing in mind then that as the youth pastor is leading that kid to Christ in that cabin, that yes, we'd look at that youth pastor and say, certainly, God has used that youth pastor to affect the eternal state of this student's life. But we would look at the body of Christ as Paul describes it there and look at the dishwasher and say that that dishwasher also equally has, as important, a part of a role in that kid coming to know Jesus. Because he's a part of the body And every part is necessary for the body to be able to function. So we get along well with other departments, and we play well. (laughs) Even though we rub each other wrong every once in a while, it's just the way that it goes. But we're in it together, and we're moving towards this while we're navigating this. We want people to hear the gospel. We want them to respond to that. We want them to come to know who Jesus is, to submit their lives to him. And to follow him. We don't want someone just to pray a prayer at camp and to go home and that's the end of it. So it's awesome to be able to be here at Hume. It's awesome to see the way that God uses scripture to change and to impact lives. I hope he's doing that for you this week as well. I guess I would challenge you as we kind of wrap up here to kind of look at like where are you with things? Are you kind of stuck right here? there's so much more. If you are, there's so much more than this right here. Are you totally focused down there? It's also not great, right? probably heard the phrase, like, so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Where are you at in that? Because we navigate here as we look down there, and we look down there as we're navigating here, This God is calling us to be faithful, to take the next right step in pursuit of him. Uh, let's pray and then we can wrap. Father, we are so grateful for your patience um, with us. That uh, I just look back on some of the stories in scripture that we have of individuals who who did not do well in their trust in you, and yet you were patient and long-suffering with them. And I think that there's probably a lot more similarities between them and us than we would like to admit at times, but we are so grateful for your patience with us. we pray Lord that you would that you would begin to form in us this full understanding, this full picture of what it means to follow after you wherever we are that we would Look at the circumstances that are right around us in light of the reality of where you're leading us and the things that you're accomplishing around us. And that we would look at these things that we're doing and that we would see that we're able to do them for your glory. That we're able to serve uh, you uh, while we're serving people. So, so if there are areas of pride, Lord, I pray you'd begin to to peel those away. Um, if, if we're doing well with those things, just pray that you would move us to engage people that, that aren't, that we would challenge one another onto good works and godliness, that we would sharpen one another, that we would link arms and that we would fight this battle together. Not, not for our benefit, but for your glory. Um, so mold us and shape us, accomplish these things in us. We pray for this, this night as we're spending time together and um, that you would draw us into conversation um, that is honoring to you that tomorrow as we continue to serve, that you would be glorified in that time. And we love you so, so much. In Jesus' name, amen.